Hey everyone, welcome back to The Coop with Meyer Hatchery, where we talk all things poultry in hopes of educating chicken keepers and inspiring future flock owners. I'm Tessa. And I'm Jess. And today we have a very special guest. Barbara Pleasant, author of Homegrown Pantry, is here to talk with us about her incredible book and what inspires her. Hey, thanks so much for inviting me. I love talking gardening and having kept a backyard flock for more than 10 years. I love flocking chickens too. <laughs> We're so excited about that. The combination of gardens and chickens goes perfectly hand in hand. Meyer Hatchery's Book of the Month program is helping to share educational and fun resources with our customers in a brand new way. I'm thrilled to be switching gears this month into the preservation of what we grow and produce at our farms or our homesteads. So first, I'd like to get to know you a little bit better. Would you share a little bit about your experience and how life brought you to being a published author? Well, I didn't mean to at first. I have a master's degree in social work, but I burned out really early because child welfare is so hard. And I found comfort in gardening during that time. And I've always liked to write. And so I wrote an article for Organic Gardening Magazine on how to grow spinach. (laughs) And they paid me money. And it was like, from there, I was on a roll. And over the years, I have been able to work with wonderful creative teams at Organic Gardening, at Mother Earth News, Story Publishing, Old Farmers Almanac and GrowVeg.com. And so, yeah, I've, I've written a lot of books and articles, but boy, have I worked with some great people. So that's incredible. Amazing. Gardening, it is such an escape. I know for me personally, I love getting out in the garden. And I grew up watching my parents' garden and my grandfather's big garden. And I couldn't wait till I could have my own garden. And so is there anybody in your life that inspired you to be a gardener and a someone that preserves their own food? Well, yes, there is. And, you know, I also have been teaching gardening for so long that it's come to my attention that maybe three out of five people have to garden. And the other two can go play golf or, or do something else. But, you know, a, a bit, little majority of us really need that in our lives. And I think my dad was like that. And, um, you know, both of my parents, like your grandparents, they grew up during the Depression. And so I was raised with this make-do mentality. You know, my mother's people were Swedish immigrants in Chicago, and my father's people barely got by on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. But my, my Mississippi grandmother raised chickens. Mm-hmm. And she thought when the, when the kids came to grandkids, me being one of those, came to visit, oh, she thought it was so cute to send us out to pick up the eggs. Well, she had this rooster that scared me to death. I have a brother two years older. And so I'd get Andy and say, Andy, you have to come with me. I can't go out there by myself. And he never did anything to us, but he scared me really bad. Anyway, that's my grandmother chicken story. Um, And and so my dad always had a garden and my mother became a wonderful cook. When you cook three meals a day for a family of six, you get good at it. And she really got good at it. So I bet, I bet. And I love how you tie that together because some of us call ourselves gardeners. Some of us call ourselves, uh, you know, cooks or 
unprofessional chefs or chicken keepers, but a lot of times they all really go hand in hand. And I love that your grandpa was in charge of those things. And then, you know, that transitioned into having these incredible meals. So I can see how that would inspire you to learn how to preserve things. That's very cool. Um, now, throughout your career, what have you been most proud of? Well, you know, it's not like you're ever going to get rich teaching people how to grow carrots. And so a long time ago, I said, well, focus on a real goal, which I decided was ready. Help people make a connection with the green world <laughs> on whatever level that is for them. It could be flowers, vegetables, you know, whatever. Um, but help make that connection. And one of the things that's happening today on social media, it has become so visual. You know, a tip is not a tip anymore without a photo or a story and, and all this. And so I'm seeing things that I kind of invented, sort of, like hardening off seedlings in an opaque plastic bin. I kind of invented that. Uh, priming spinach seeds to get them to germinate better. I kind of wrote about that six times, you know, and so I kind of feel some providence when I see these really good tips helping people garden better, mm -hmm. which is what I was trying to do all along, only it's happening in the mediaverse or whatever we call it. So that's kind of cool. You know, I, I gotta like jump in. I gotta jump in and say that I recently taught a class at my local library about this, like four days ago, <laughs> and <laughs> I, I, I had the attention of people from the age of five through seventy during that full attention, mm -hmm. and it was like a completely new experience. And I just love that. So thank you because your your tactics <laughs> transitioned to me sharing it with all these people. That's awesome. I love it. Cool. Yeah, but I'm not owning anything. I'm just saying, <laughs> you know, that when you do this a long time and you throw out this idea and throw out that idea and some of them are really good, you know, and other people start doing it. That's great. Yeah. You should own it. Own it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking about all my containers upstairs, my opaque containers that I use for that very same thing. So that's that's awesome. right. That's right. Yeah. When I first, the light bulb moment was due last year, I took a folding table, turned it upside down, and put row cover over it and um, weighted the corners. So out on the deck, this was just an experiment. It worked as a place to put seedlings that I just didn't have room for inside anymore, but I didn't have room for them anywhere else. And so I made this hardening off huh. frame by an upside, upside down table. But back in the seventies, everybody knew this, that you could make an instant greenhouse by turning a table upside down, putting plastic over it. Well, nobody knew it anymore. Well, I didn't they, invent that though. They want you to pay for that. You know, that's not something that you're taught. That's something that could be sold to you. <laughs> I am writing that down right now. <laughs> I have plenty of tables and plastic. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That's great. Yeah. That's a great idea. I love that. So in your book, you talk about um, growing and preserving your own food as an investment in your health. And I have to say for me, that like really was very personal for me. 
Um, I had reached a point in my life where I was tired all the time. I was gaining weight. I didn't understand why. And I had to make a, a change. I had to become a healthier version of myself. Um, and, you know, I went to a lot of doctors and I took all the advice, but nothing was working. And what I found to work for me was my food from the backyard, <laughs> growing my own food, having that fresh, those fresh fruits and vegetables and, and having my chickens and, and getting rid of the, you know, preservatives and things like that. You find at the, the local convenience store and, um, you know, just, just going back to basics. That's how I kind of, how I think of it. So, um, so it is really an investment and I was, it was really interesting for me to read that in your book. Um, so how does preserving your own food make you feel? I know it makes me happy. How does it make you feel? <laughs> well, see, you have these uh, wonderful story that you were able to heal yourself from the inside out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, more and more, it kind of comes down to that without getting too graphic or anything. But, mm-hmm. but it really is something that um, when you take up, I call it self-provisioning as a lifestyle. Um, and then that might even mean gathering mushrooms in the woods, you know, um, things that our forebears did, because it stimulates you on so many levels. Um, the mental stimulation is huge, especially when you're planning your garden. And I find that there's a certain times where I just have to take just a mini meditative moment to get things in order. What am I supposed to be doing right now? And I have a rule in the homegrown pantry, which is whatever is perfect for picking, you do that. Because we gardeners, we just want to plant all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, that's where the drama and excitement is. And so when you have perfect lettuce sorry you start your day picking and cleaning lettuce (laughs) but Mm -hmm. my goal is not to be self-sufficient you know I've visited hundreds of gardeners and I've only seen that happen on a community level where you have many people cooperating to achieve self-sufficiency so my goal is simply to eat something from the garden every day And that's real simple because, and it's easily achieved Mm -hmm. because you can turn a can of tomatoes into taco sauce and have that for three days. Or or, um, I dry a lot. And so last night's soup had crumbled squash, tomatoes, and peppers in it. Um, so, So that's the kind of flow that I'm looking for from the garden to the table all the time, every day. I like that that is achievable and it's achievable for everyone, even in a small garden, uh, as long as you plant the right things for your environment. That's awesome. I know that stepping into preserving, you said drying is one of your favorite things. Um, I spend a lot of time doing canning because primarily up here in Michigan, uh, I'm doing a lot of either fall crops or I do a lot of tomatoes because I have a, I'm a family of five. So we do need that can of salsa. We need that tomato mm-hmm. sauce and things like that. Uh, but it also was one of the scariest things that I have ever done because, and I'm going to share my canning fail with you out with the world, <laughs> but the first time that I tried to pressure can beans, I thought that I was going to just explode my house. Like it was terrifying. The manual pressure canner, not, not really understanding 
how it worked. And that lid, as it started <laughs> rumbling, I'm sitting in my kitchen thinking to myself, I need to get my kids out. We're, we're, gonna, we're either going to, uh, this lid is going to shoot up and through my roof or um, the water's going to come spraying on us. And it, those fears, I think, stop people sometimes from making doing that next step. It's one thing to eat it fresh. It's another thing to prepare for your future. So would you be willing to share a biggest flap with us? Yeah, um, that would be um, getting a, a jar of canned tomatoes off the shelf and realizing that the seeds inside were germinating. Oh my gosh! <laughs> it was just a little bit under process. And then one night we um, started hearing funny noises in the basement and we have some odd stuff down there, you know, a boiler of all things, but this, these were different sounds and um, it turned out that the underdone blackberry wine that I had bottled was popping corks all oh over the storage room. <laughs> so you learn not to jump, to get patience. Patience. patience that's that was boy was that a mess to clean up is that enough Tess oh. is that enough <laughs> that's enough you can stop there I give you permission <laughs> oh my goodness well all this talking about preserving in your book you I feel like a lot of people when you say I preserve my food they kind of go straight to canning um, but it's really great because you talk about cold storage and freezing and drying and canning and fermentation. So I'm, I'm sticking a question in here. <laughs> yeah. What, um, what is your favorite way to use fermentation? Well, I, in season, I, I like to do it in the fall. We were talking about fermenting vegetables, right? And some riff on kimchi. In my garden, bok choy grows like a weed. If you get a fall bok choy in where I am, mid-August, you're going to have just bok choy, bok choy, you know, <laughs> until the hard freezes, take it away. And uh, we do pretty well with regular Chinese cabbage. And it's a little bit smelly, but of course I go into that in the book. And one of the innovations, and I'll take credit for this one too, <laughs> fermenting in a cooler. So you're going to use a drink cooler, like a Coke, you know, not Coke. I can't say that. I shouldn't. I'm a Southerner. But, you know, just a regular <laughs> cooler and um, a couple of frozen water bottles. And then you'll have maybe a couple of quart jars of ferment going. Two little frozen water bottles will keep the inside of that cooler at about 55 degrees, which is perfect mundo for um, kimchi or kraut um, or, or any of the really good fall vegetables, even carrots, if you wanted to ferment them. I've, I've had fermented onions that were phenomenal. Hmm. Um, but anyway, in addition to keeping the temperature constant, you don't smell the gases. You know, I use the floating um, plastic bag method on top of the material. So if you put all that in the cooler, you're maintaining temperature. You know, it doesn't stink up your house. You haven't fermented, have you? 
I haven't yet. I've, I've, okay. I've started, I've got my, my research down, but that's one thing I haven't done. I love drying. I love canning. Um, we have a cold storage, but fermenting is like that one last step that I haven't, I haven't made that last step yet. So hopefully this year, that's on my, that's on my goal list for this year. <laughs> well, it's fun. And, it, and it's not at all dangerous. And, you know, it's like one of the oldest forms of food preservation. In years, I, you know, we vegetable gardeners, you go through love affairs with different things. Oh, that was my carrot phase. That was my cabbage phase. And, and it was really in my cabbage phase that my interest in um, uh, fermenting took off. Um, plus, I was at a Mother Earth news fair and see i'm trying to remember the author of wild fermentation mm -hmm. you know you've mm, mm, mm. he I, was I up have, there, maybe i have a book right here maybe yeah he was up there doing this demonstration with cabbage and radishes and and talking about fermentation and you could not leave without saying oh i can do this i can do this and mm -hmm. anybody can do it anybody can do it what i see because the internet opens people's kitchens to you. I see people trying to ferment under too warm conditions. One of the reasons I don't ferment in the summertime is even though, you know, we have air conditioning when we need it, the kitchen gets pretty warm. And if it's 73 in the kitchen, and then you have a fermentation project going that's generating three more degrees of heat, you know what you're getting you're over 75 and you're flirting with mush yeah because if it approaches 80 it's all over and that's why i'm saying you can keep things cool in a cooler you can reduce odors in a cooler and get a better quality ferment so you know try some kimchi or some kraut yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. definitely gonna try that have you ever tried water glassing eggs i have not but boy is that a hot idea uh, I see it everywhere. People trying it. I'm a um, I'm an egg freezer. I have these little containers with screw on tops, and they hold two eggs, and I scramble them up real good, and and I freeze those. Try to put maybe three dozen away, so that I have them. And what is so cool about those summer our our chickens free range, and so the summer eggs are really dark. You know, the yolks mm -hmm. are really dark, and we also have blueberries. And so in the winter, I'll make blueberry muffins and the muffin part will be almost orange. It'll be golden with those egg yolks. And it's so cool. I'll look at them and say, uh-huh, I know where those eggs came from. Isn't that a good feeling, though, to know where it came from? That's one of my favorite things, too. Uh, knowing where your food is from, knowing what was put into it, knowing the care, the time. That's part of the best, the best of it. That's just the best. So if you could give advice to somebody who was preserving for the first time, just one little bit, what would it be? Well, not to be afraid of things. And, you know, like I understand how intimidating a pressure canner can be, but that's an advanced <laughs> technique. And so if if you said, well, I want to can something, which is wonderful, um, make some bread and butter pickles. You can't go wrong, really. And in um, 
in the book homegrown pantry one of the most uh, popular recipes is called zucchini and friends relish where you take zucchini squash and whatever else you have too much of and essentially make bread and butter pickles with it and you can't go wrong at water baths it's got vinegar it's got sugar there's no question about acidity and it's one of our basic food groups around here you know because you can put it in potato salad or <laughs> a sandwich spread or you know so many things plus I mean zucchini you get so many yeah, yeah so many yeah. you have to figure out a way to do it I have used that recipe it is phenomenal As zucchini seems to take over here at least where I live that grows the best so like as soon as the zucchini starts coming and it's finding all the creative ways to enjoy it and preserve it to enjoy uh, in the winter time, I, I live somewhere where we get lots of snow. So, mm -hmm. so we, we're talking a lot about, I love your advice of enjoying one thing from the garden every day. Um, what was your biggest garden that you ever had? And what was your smallest? Well, one of my first gardens was almost a big row garden. And this older man who was the landlord plowed it up and he would come out and give me little nuggets of advice. I didn't know what I was doing, you know, and this, this was in an unenlightened time. And then uh, I moved on other big gardens. And then I did have the experience of a small garden where I could look out the kitchen window and everything was done. Mm -hmm. Every bed was weeded and mulched and everything was staked. And there's something wonderful about that. And I learned firsthand the wisdom of starting small, improving your soil as you go. And um, now that I have a big garden, there's also a wisdom in knowing when to just let something go. Mm -hmm. that you, you can't control everything going on in a big garden. And I'm used to having deer. Uh, I live almost on the Blue Ridge Parkway, which is a national park, and there's no hunting. And the deer, it's like they can read the signs. And um, safe here. <laughs> yeah. And so I had gotten all these little mini techniques to protect things from deer, and rabbits moved in. Mm -hmm. And and so last year I had this double whammy of rabbits and deer, and I just had to give some things up. Yep. Yeah, you know what's funny about that is Jess and I were talking a few weeks ago um, because this past year uh, I was at like maximum chicken capacity. My gardens were bigger than they had ever been. And I just literally took down the fencing around the garden and let the chickens come in. And I let them kind of, you know, well, number one, they did all of my bug eating, which was fantastic. Um I don't think I saw any lettuce, but that's fine. But oh, and no blueberries, absolutely. And I had one bird who was like literally jumping to get grapes. Yes, they it will was, do that. Yes, yeah. it, it was his absolute favorite. He would sit under the grapevines and just whoop, hop, hop <laughs> up and eat them. But that balance, I, that's exactly what we felt here. Uh, because having chickens with a garden is an unusual circumstance because man, they want to get in there really bad. Um, but if you let them, they can go wild. So I do have to ask you, we are chicken hatchery. What is your favorite breed of all time? Oh, man, I don't know if there's a favorite breed of all time. Where I live, um, 
I'm in the mountains of Virginia. We're like USDA zone 6B, soon to change to 7. I don't know. Oh. You know, we, we did hit 5 below back in December. But we've had excellent luck with every breed we've tried. And I think we've tried quite a few. And um, some we wouldn't like as much as others. And um, I have to have a mixed flock because all my chickens have names. And I need mm -hmm. to tell them apart. Mm -hmm. And when I've had too many of one kind, it gets confusing, you know, who are you? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I love uh, Black Australorp as an egg-laying machine and, mm -hmm. and uh, Rhode Island Reds. Both of those, they're great foragers. Mm -hmm. You know, they kind of look after themselves. And um, <clears throat> part of our reason for keeping chickens is tick control. Mm -hmm. um, we have a lot of Lyme disease in this area, and I want those chickens out scratching. And the Australorps are just can't be stopped. They're they're just really good. But I was recently last year totally in love with a golden laced Wyandotte named mm -hmm. Dorothy, who mm -hmm. got taken by a fox. Oh, she was Aww. a lovely chicken. She was so cute. And we named her after my recently deceased mother-in-law. Anyway, um, I wouldn't mind having another Wyandotte, but I was looking at your chickens and your <laughs> green queens mm -hmm. look interesting because everyone would look a little bit different. And um, my first favorite, I hate to call it a favorite, but in any flock <laughs> at any given time, there'll be one chicken that declares herself your familiar you know, mm -hmm. I'm your pet chicken. I'm the one, you know, <laughs> the one that comes and gets in the wheelbarrow when you're yep. shoveling compost. And you say, oh, you're so cute. Well, she <laughs> was an Easter egger and her name was Pumpkin. And, I, you know, you can never have exactly a repeat of a favorite chicken. But those, you know, like I say, the green queens look good, you know, any good, healthy chicken looks great yeah you know I'm we're talking in spring when some of the chickens have been offline and they've just come back in those first eggs oh look 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 it's mm -hmm. a miracle all over again mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, it's such a great I love that partnership between my flock and my garden it's it's absolutely wonderful I have a lot of chicken math here I got a lot of different breeds I found that silkies believe it or not I can let them into my garden and they don't eat my vegetables. They just eat underneath. They're so silly, but they will crawl underneath the plants and they will like eat underneath, but they won't touch the vegetables. So they're allowed in there when I'm really watching the garden. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, Barbara, it was such a pleasure chatting with you today. I think that your book is the perfect addition to our book of the month collection. Thank you so very much for sharing your knowledge and your story with us. Well, thank you. It was great to be here. I love talking about chickens and chickens are such good company in the garden. I think the world needs more backyard chickens. We think so too. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, we thank you for listening to The Coop. Be sure to subscribe. And if you'd be so kind, drop us a review. Have a poultry related question or topic you'd like us to cover? We want to hear from you. Send us an email to podcast at meyerhatchery.com. Thank you.